0: Welcome to the Swim Swam Breakdown. Man, it's been a minute. I'm I'm Coleman Hodges coming to you from Austin, Texas. We're joined by Swim Swam editor in chief Braden Keith from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Swim Swam writer Yin-Yin Lee from Madison, New Jersey.
1: Guys, I've missed you. It's been a while.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's been over <laughs> a month.
1: Coleman had doesn't look like he showered since we last recorded a breakdown. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I take a, a shower fast at the beginning of the new year. <laughs> yeah,
2: perfect. You should have made the joke saying that I haven't showered since last year, but it's probably too late for that. It's been <laughs> <three
0: weeks. Blabla. laughs> What a missed opportunity. Uh but you know it wasn't a missed opportunity? Arizona State's dual meet weekend. <laughs> <Woo-wee>! <laughs> Let's just what would you get like? Just give me your unadulterated thoughts. On I this am weekend.
2: so glad that maybe a week out from the meet, I was like, Brayden, we need to hype up this meet because it's going to be big. And it was big. And I am so glad I did. I wrote a preview for it and we did a live recap, went all out because the meet lived up to its hype in some ways.
1: I know. It maybe well. not the
2: team battle, but the swims did.
1: I know it won't, but I'm really ready for this to put the whole dual meets don't matter thing to bed because this is the most excited anybody's been about swimming since probably last March.
0: I mean, like this is like yeah was is was this bigger than mid season? I don't think think it's not just
2: it's not just this dual meet because there were plenty of big dual meets this year that. Generated all of excitement. Texas, Virginia, Texas, Florida, and now this. And I think it's just going to be a trend for dual meets to get hyped up like this. And I love it.
1: Plus, midseason, some of the dual, the invites decided they weren't going to score them. And that <laughs> deflates a lot of the hype <laughs> out of them. Who <laughs> won the Cal Arizona State men's meet? I didn't even, I didn't even look.
0: Oh, man. uh oh. Arizona State won both. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cal scored 88 points i think on the men's side i think i think neither cal team scored 100 points
2: yeah but asu was suited cal was not and you know the deal
0: (laughs) you know (laughs) the deal deal. (laughs) cal is historically focused on one meet seemingly one one. since durden has taken over the women have adopted that as well uh so let's Let's start with Leon Marchand's 400 IM, 331, 84, breaks the NCAA record by a full second. <laughs> How do you contact in January, right? Like coming off of winter training, uh, you know, uh, we talked to Bob Bowman this morning. You know, he did a threshold set on Monday that was like 7,500. He pushes a 418 at the end of practice uh, in a 500 free in a Speedo how do you contextualize a swim like this?
1: I mean, who else, who else does this kind of thing? There's one person who does this kind of thing. And her name is Katie Ledecky. That's the best context I can give until we get to February, you know, or March and March. Cause I guess PAC 12 championships are in March. Right. So until mm-hmm. we get to March and, and make sure that he's got another gear left, um, that's the best I can do to contextualize it. Uh, I, I don't, it's, it's just like when a swim gets to a certain level, you're just like, wow, that was fast. Super cool. <laughs> and like you, you run out of ways. There is no context. There is no peer for what he's done in that event. There's probably not a, a recent peer among men. The only thing I can think of is Katie Ledecky showing up her freshman year and shattering NCAA records every time she swam.
2: I think for me, this swim gave me closure. It gave closure on Leon Marchand's abilities in the 400 IM. This swim was basically his message saying, I'm the best, no one is getting near me. Because even with his 404 from last summer, you're still coming into this season thinking, he lost to Hugo Gonzalez this year. Hugo Gonzalez is the fastest of all time in the 400 IM, not him. So even if he was coming in as this favorite because of what he did this summer, it wasn't, you have to see it actually happen. You actually, you actually have to see him swim that fastest yards 400. I am to really say and be certain of the fact that he is the dominant one in this conversation. He is the one that's the top and I know logically he was always the favorite, but this w- this just really cemented his status. Because I was writing about this, I was writing an article about uh, the swimmers that were still undefeated for this season. And I was saying, because he's the fastest ever in both IMs by a significant margin now, I can confidently say that there's no one else beating him unless Carson Foster, who we haven't seen swim arrested 400 IM because he skipped mid seasons has a miracle swim. There is no one getting nearly on Marchand and this swim proved it.
1: Okay. So let me ask you this is three thirty one a catch up from his long course four Oh four, or does that mean he's going to go four Oh two and long course next summer? Like, is, is this, is this the, the end of an improvement cycle that began in the summer? Or is this the start of an improvement cycle that will continue into next summer?
2: I mean, you can't really say he's you ending can. his improvement cycle. You can No. I mean, just he's so, so what's he young go and he's like at his prime age of improving. I don't see why this would be an end. Especially if you look at, I was just li- listening to Bob Bowman's podcast with Coleman and Bob Bowman said that they didn't rest. They were doing hard training two days before three days before this meet and he dropped a 331 he didn't even think it was fast so i think he has more okay
1: okay but that doesn't make sense right because this is not the first time they suited up for a dual meet and he hasn't gone 331 in past dual meets so it's not like it's not like he just magically found six seconds of non-taper when
2: was the last time they suited up at the dual meet
1: stanford Uh, against
2: stanford and he did a race
1: conversation all fall
0: I don't think it was. I think they only suited up
1: this semester. Yeah, just duels.
2: Stanford and Cal. So, what and- did he
1: go? At? What did he go? At? He didn't do it. He didn't do three thirty-one against Stanford.
2: Well, th- he, he did a swim at AA Stanford. This
1: and the two IM. That's the two IM, <clears throat> which is like, fast, it's not four thirty-one.
0: It's not. But again, I think uh, from from what he said last year, he didn't go out. Aggressively enough in the 400 IM, and then and then Hugo just won the race because he actually went for it, and Leon didn't. I think Leon was kind of riding his confidence from the 2 IM, and he was like, oh, "Okay, well, I'm going to win this no matter what." And he didn't swim the race how up to his potential, uh according to to himself and Bowman in at 22 NCs.
1: Well, it's so interesting that you say that. He was 333 midseason. He was suited midseason, mm-hmm. right? Hmm. So where yeah. did he find two seconds in in <clears throat> a month? And I guess it's been two months. He, you're telling me he found two seconds without resting in a month.
0: I mean, Brayden, answer your question. I think this is. <laughs> I think his improvement cycle is just beginning. I mean, he he is. I think that was an apt comparison. Like we're seeing a male version of Katie Ledecky, and Katie Ledecky in her prime would throw down an in-season time that would make us go. And then she would go even faster at the championship meet, and I think that's what we're going to see. He's, right, so he's just
2: Katie on a a stretch, decline. but I, I I agree he's good. But calling him male Katie Ledecky is a stretch. So, I just don't think. So senior are...
1: year, what is Leon going to do in the 400 IM? Call a time right now, and we're going to come back to it. We'll clip this in in twenty. I don't
0: know. I'm not. I'm calling 329 for March.
2: I was going to say
1: this March. Yeah.
2: I was going to yes, say 328 absolutely. for senior year. Not this much because I feel There's like... There's so many things hit... that
0: could happen. He well, w- it, w- one... it, w- it will be no, post-Olympics. Guys it will be said... post-Paris Olympics. I'm saying Like His life could completely change after that. He might not come back for senior year.
1: But you guys said, you guys said he's just starting to improve. He's going to keep dropping every year, every year. Improvement every year. cycles don't last three years.
2: <laughs> I didn't say he was going to keep dropping. I just said he would drop... To a point where he, I said, he's going to drop from these times, but obviously there's a point where you can't keep dropping. Like even with Katie Lejecki, she didn't drop from her 8.04. We got a
1: 329 in this corner. I'm saying
2: 328.
1: I think he goes at 331 low. I think he just goes (laughs) another 331 slightly lower.
0: Our, that time will tell, as Bob Bowman <laughs> said on our podcast. The wise don't make predictions, and the people who make predictions aren't wise. That was the quote. <laughs> cool, cool, Bob. Anyway, also in this Arizona dual meet, uh, Arizona State dual meet. Obviously, they were suited up. So let's talk about that, right? Especially the fact that ASU suited up and Cal did not. Obviously cal knew that asu was going to suit up asu knew that cal was not going to suit up but in general do you sink or swim suiting up for dual meets and why
1: i swim it if you want to do it I, I i tend to ascribe to the value of experience racing and dual meets because it changes your body position in the water it changes your fluid dynamics through the water um to, to me, it makes sense to do it at least a couple of times. Um, I would think, but you know, I don't know. We've, we've seen teams that do it have success and we've seen teams that don't do it have success. So it's sort of, maybe it's sort of moot. Uh, maybe we all want to put more on it than it really matters. Um, but I don't know. I, I would tend to ascribe to get your swimmers comfortable. It, it probably comes down to as long as your athletes buy into whatever pseudo psychology you've come up with to justify your decision. That's what pseudo
0: psychology right. suit. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. So speaking from a total entertainment purpose, because there's been a lot of discourse around dual meets and growing the sport. I personally don't think suiting up is the make or break factor for making a dual meet interesting. Yes, it helps to get experience suiting up. So yeah, I think it's great if you suit up maybe once or twice in season, but I really don't think that's the deciding factor for what makes the meat interesting. For example, at the Texas-Virginia dual meet, the Texas men and the Virginia men suited up, but the woman didn't. But I personally thought the woman's meat produced faster times
1: well, that's just because Be, the Virginia women are are the best team present,
2: but the Texas men are also a good team.
1: And yeah, but they 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 approach their season differently. They're, I mean, they're just.
2: But even so, the Texas woman Anna Lent won a fifty-eight one. I didn't see any men going those a finaling worthy times in the one hundred. Have been
0: more exciting if the women had
1: suited up. If the I mean, men. It's
2: I don't, I, you can't speak for that, but I'm just saying they were no, we're not allowed more to make exciting than the men anymore, that suited up. And we can't speak so in I'm saying,
1: like, <laughs> Bob said, so sports is over,
0: <laughs> sports media, sports, or sports, um, sports commentary. I, Eddie, I feel Eddie like
1: requested those suits, by the way, a little, little inside dirt right there. That was an Eddie Reese request, which is, I think, interesting and will surprise people.
0: I mean I think most top teams suit up regularly whether it's in practice or at meets now and so like because because I think everyone has uh what's the word everyone's following that philosophy of you need to practice racing in a fast suit I don't see why not do it in dual meets I mean I think it would make the dual meet it would make dual meets matter even more than they already are. Currently the times would be faster and the swimmers would just be probably happier generally. I don't know. Maybe that's a lie, but
1: I think, I don't think anybody should stick their fingers in their ears and say, I'm not, we're not suiting Um, because I think there are some, some good moments for it. Um, For example, like I don't know if Michigan was suited but they swam way better than they did against Indiana. I bet they weren't feeling great against eh, – it looks like they didn't suit. I bet they weren't feeling great against, about their performance against Indiana. And so if you come off a meet like that and your team is kind of down on itself, I think I think for every team, regardless of your philosophy, there could be value in suiting up and showing your athletes, hey, what we're doing is working, stick to the plan, and it'll all come out in the wash in, in the spring.
2: So here's the question: Do we think the ASU Cal meet would have been closer if Cal suited, and do we think the Cal woman would have beaten the ASU woman if they suited up? That's the question. That's like was suiting
1: the variable. I think it would have been closer. What this is as a as a person who's interested in solving swimming, right? Swimming to me seems like a sport that can be solved. Basketball, football have too many variables to, to, to ever completely solve them. But swimming in my head can be solved, right? You can at some point we will have AI that will tell us the perfect training for an athlete, the perfect technique for an athlete, yada, yada, yada. So so from a perspective of swimming can be solved. To me, we don't know how successful teams tapers are because of the suit factor and as if if i'm a coach who's trying to solve and perfect my training i like knowing how much how much of that end of season drop was suits and how much was tapers um that to me would be extremely valuable information in tweaking my season plan for the next year etc cetera, etc cetera. um i think it would have been closer i i I don't think Cal would have been would have been where Arizona State was just in terms of their kind of, you know, we, we didn't even talk about Grant Houses one 131 nation leader um Leon's other events. I still think Arizona State would have won, but I think it would have been closer for sure.
0: Can we also talk about how like everyone was freaking out about how how much Arizona beat Cal by, but by dual meet standards cal swam really fast
2: yeah destin lasco went a 45 and the one back 141 and the two back just in a brief and in how january training i feel like that was overlooked
0: like their foreigner free relay was all 43s and 42s which mm-hmm. i it's i mean it's just like it was funny looking at results being like okay arizona state was obviously on another level but like like Cal looks really good aside from Hugo Gonzalez. He did not look so good.
1: <clears throat> right. And they need him to come back around because Texas, Texas looks a little better every time they swim, as far as I from where I sit.
2: I just want to add on to this whole conversation something that has been a bit overlooked is how much of a confidence boost this would give the ASU woman headed into the championship season because they're clearly at a different place than the Arizona State men. They're being a bit overshadowed just because they don't have that much star power, but they had some pretty impressive swims. Lindsay Looney is clearly establishing herself as a star on this team. I think Charlie Brown's beginning to break out. Molly Batchelor went a 4.46, 5.3, which is, I think that's a personal best. No, that's not a personal best, but it's still a really good time. And even if you say... Cal wasn't suited, ASU was, but for them to beat a team like Cal this, at this point in the season, that's definitely a really big motivation factor. That's definitely going to help them later on in at Pac-12 and NCAs. And I just thought that was something that was overlooked and I wanted to bring it up.
1: I agree. And the Cal women also aren't on the level of the Cal men, but the Cal women were better mid-season than we all thought they were going to be. So the, you know, the Cal women still look like a top 10 team. And the Arizona State women to this point have not. Um, so I think you're exactly right. I think that I think it's big for the women, and we see this sometimes. Sometimes this works. Sometimes it doesn't. Right? We've seen programs in the past with this big imbalance between men and women in either direction, and sometimes one can feed it feed off the other, and sometimes they can't. Um, it looks like here, at least the early returns um, are that the women are kind of catching up a little bit and, and and catching the same wave of momentum that the men have. They're just maybe a couple of years behind.
0: And that's exactly what Bowman said to give you his perspective was that, you know, last year we saw the ASU men like really come out at PAC 12s and they posted several nation leading times heading into NCs and then like, didn't quite, weren't quite able to repeat all those performances on a team level. Um, he said the he feels like the women are kind of a couple years behind where like this year the men, he said, are completely focused, eyes eyes on NCAAs, whereas last year they had they were their big meet was Pac 12s. Uh and then, you know, this year the women's big meet will be Pac 12s, you know, like they're they're more focused on that meet as as a meet where they can really perform and show out as a team. Um, because that's, that's more of a realistic goal than, than an NCAAs. And, you know, to him, he feels like the women are a couple of years behind the men.
1: I love a coach that can admit that rather than a coach (laughs) who texts me to fight me about it. Every time (laughs) I present the data, not speaking,
0: speaking, speaking of teams with imbalances, uh, Virginia also had, uh, quite the weekend, um, We saw their big three on the women's side really show out in Gresham Walsh, Alex Walsh, and Kate Douglas. It raised the question of what would the ideal event lineup for all three of these be so that they could, I mean, on one hand, you could do it so that they're trying not to overlap and they could score the maximal amount of points as possible, potentially win nine NCAA champion titles. Uh, on the other hand, you could just do it where they've f- you put them in their best events. They overlap some, but they still score a ton of points. To you, what's the what's the ideal lineup? All right, three? so
1: here's my lineup: Gretchen Walsh to me is the easiest, fifty 300 hundred back. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, Alex Walsh, I got two IM, two fly, four IM. Kate Douglas, I've got one fly, two breast two i am not the fifty free because i i want to see the if i'm going to have an overlap and i'm those coaches first of all nobody's touching them in the 2i am you're definitely going to go one two 50 frees things can go wrong and and things can get ugly real quick but number two i want to see alex versus kate in a 200 yard i am just go absolutely bananas
2: Okay, I agree with the majority of what Brayden had said, except I think that uh, this is not what I think. What she, I think she's gonna do. This is what I want her to do. As much as I would love to see the Alex Kate Two I Am showdown, because I love the Two I Am, I think she should go with the five hundred free, so they can complete the nine. They could potentially go for nine individual. NCAA titles I think that would also be really cool and speak to their dominance but I do agree that Kate should drop the 50 free over the 200 IM because there are so many signs pointing to the fact that Kate is better at the 200 IM than the 50 free here's a fun fact that I was doing when I was doing this article about undefeated swimmers Gretchen Walsh is 4-0 against Kate Douglas in the in the 50 free. And Kate Douglas, it's, it's not like Kate Douglas is bad at the 50 free. She went neck and neck with Emma McKeon at Short Course World, It's not like but... she's
0: bad at it. She's only the American <laughs> record yeah, holder. Yeah, I'm, ta- I'm talking about
2: this this season, but Gretchen keeps beating her. This is a sign that she should do focus on the 200s. And it's this goes for long course as well. She's better at the 200s and long course. So she should therefore swim Doesn't in Short she... Course.
1: Doesn't it feel like Gretchen – it was Gretchen who they wouldn't let swim in a tech suit again until she had a good race, right? Yeah. It feels like she's turned that corner and found that confidence this year. Um, So I don't know if it was that or if it was something else, but whatever they did to sort of get her ready for big competition, the fact that she's 4-0 against Kate Douglas in the 53 this year – in addition to all of her various very yeah. fast times, yeah. Um, indicates that maybe they've they've found what works there, which is super exciting.
0: Not buying it. I don't I don't like it. I like Kate <laughs> Douglas in the 50-free because I like Kate v Gretchen 50-free. Uh we I that think Gretchen year. swims great in season, and she swam great last year at NCAA's, but There haven't been, I think that was primarily for long course A, but B, I think Kate is a big meat swimmer and has proven that a lot. And uh, I think she's going to defend her title in the 50 free. I think she's going to defeat Gretchen. Gretchen,
1: (laughs) Gretchen, yeah, there's already competition in the 50 free. We have no other competition for Alex in the (laughs) 2IM. I don't want to see Alex Walsh win the 200 IM by four seconds, do you? do you she
2: won't i mean win, no i, I don't like to tori husk exists
1: <laughs> so tori
0: I, I have husk a question cool? i bet tori husk swims the two i am
2: mm. yeah do you yeah, think
0: alex does. could win the 500 free
2: i think i think yeah, it's year. plausible but it's emma wyant's definitely gonna be a big roadblock i was saying this before emma wyant's <laughs> got three seconds on her and she has Florida training. So I still think Wyatt is the favorite. But the thing with Alex Walsh is that she's also a big meat swimmer. If you put her in any event, she will pop off and do well. So it's like Wyatt is the favorite, the safe favorite. But Alex can Alex can do stuff. That's how I'm going to put it. She can do stuff.
1: <laughs> Alex Walsh. She can do stuff. We should update her <laughs> bio. Seriously. (laughs) All
0: right. Fair enough. Uh, With that, let's get to more topics by playing our favorite game on Swim, Swim, Breakdown, Sink, or Swim. We saw so many good dual meet performances. We didn't even get to a lot of them. Um, Yusuf Ramadan posted a nation-leading time in the 100 fly. There, There were a lot of great dual meets this weekend, which got me thinking, Um, is this going to be a new trend that we're seeing for January? So like, you know, usually we have like the fall season and then we have mid season and then we have like January and then it's championship season. But are we going to start seeing teams build up to mid season and then just descend down from mid season where January is actually a part of, I want to say the taper cycle, but the racing cycle where people start suiting up and we start seeing a lot of nation leading times coming out of January.
1: I am going to swim it as a trend. um, Because what I, I, you know, we see these things go in waves because every coach is always trying to get an edge and it's hard to get an edge doing the same thing as everybody else. So I think, um, I think we're going to see it kind of shift back to, okay, we'll get all our cuts in January. We'll, be slower at conference and we'll be ready to go at NCAAs. I, you know, I think the coaches are are coming back to liking coming down out of a training trip where you have two or three a days or maybe out of altitude and, and not having to do a full taper to get full taper times. You can just do kind of a drop taper and get times that are going to qualify you. Um, And so for teams that are focusing on NCAAs, I think we'll see this come and be a trend, but then I think we'll, see it go away again none of these things ever last
2: i'm gonna sink it just because i don't think teams are gonna be deliberately peaking in january i think there is a trend of swimming faster in season so more teams are gonna do that virginia women asu men they're already beginning to do that but teams like florida or texas cal People, teams are stubborn and they don't typically change their ways, especially when you're talking about peaking at certain meets or when to taper. And I don't think they're going to go out of their way to not deprioritize invites and prioritize January. And I don't think any team is going to be doing that. I still think midseason is going to be the focus where you get NCAA cuts. But those teams that happen to swim fest all the time, they might coincidentally get a nation leading time in January, but it's not going to be a, oh, we're going to train through mid seasons and show up at a random dual meet in January. Like that's not, not how it works.
1: Well, so what's interesting is that, uh, Coleman, you probably know this from talking to coaches, but a common periodization strategy is every eight weeks is to do eight week cycles. Um, I don't know if that's still a thing, but that's definitely been a thing in the past. Um, And December invites are becoming less and less common, right? I think more teams now than maybe 10 years ago have their mid-season meet before Thanksgiving. And so then you go mid-November, eight weeks later, mid-January, eight weeks later, NCAAs. Um, And I, you know, so maybe it's just a function of... No more December invites because, you know, if you have it, if you're going to winter nationals for your invite or the Minnesota invite, for example, Cal in Texas, who did not swim that fast in January, your eight weeks is about conference, right? So maybe, maybe the eight weeks is the key. And the fact that more teams are doing their invites pre Thanksgiving um, is, is what's leading to this.
0: Yeah, I'm, it's my theory. So I'm swimming it. I I I think we'll see in the next couple of years. As Braden said, this won't be a forever thing, but I think I think fast swimming in season has just become more of a thing that people are doing and more of a thing that elite swimmers are figuring out how to do. And so I think we're gonna see people descend their entire seasons where it's not you're 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 swimming super fast at midseason and then you don't swim super fast again. Until conference or NCs. I think it's you swim okay, or you know, you swim pretty good at midseason, but then you build off of that instead of going right back into super hard training.
1: Plus, what's the easiest way to win an NCAA title in swimming? Recruiting. Be Leon Marchand. <laughs> no, <laughs> recruiting. Um,
0: that was my second answer.
1: Yeah. And uh, these swims are getting a lot of attention. Virginia gets a lot of attention for being fast all the time and that. Their recruiting is off the charts. You got to develop swimmers at some level. But if you really want to win a title, you've got to recruit. And I think it's not, it's not what we're used to in swimming, right? We're used to sort of dogma in swimming where it's all about the one meet, it's all about the principles. It's all about this and that. But I think I think coaches are finally coming around to they're being paid to perform well in college season and to perform well in a college season you've got to recruit and there are certain things you have to do to recruit and maybe it costs you a tenth or two at the end of the year maybe it doesn't nobody will ever know but um the value of getting big recruits probably outweighs whatever you think you're losing by doing it.
2: Do we think this will change the purpose of a midseason invite? Because right now I think midseasons are seen as a meet where you get NCAA cuts where you build up from the pol- fall and you go back down. Do you think mid are going to be seen in a different light and have a different purpose because more teams are swimming fast in January? What would
1: be the purpose? Like, what well, other purpose could they have?
2: Well, if they're not if they're not supposed to be a peak, then what are they? What are I they know, for? Maybe they just go away. That would be kind of depressing, but. <laughs>
1: Maybe I you move oops. conference meets to midseason, which I wanted them to do forever. That's been that's been my theory. You move the conference meets to December. Um, okay, that then, would be awesome. Then you have yeah maybe like w- a, I, a dual I, meet bracket in the that. spring, like you have an SEC dual meet bracket in the spring, and you give out a, a dual meet championship, and that leads into NCAA's. That's I think
2: what that's New Jersey fun. high school swimming does. because yep. I've I've been a team manager for my. High school team. This—that's just my first experience with swimming. Was this dual meet bracket? That was how I knew swimming w- was. But and then after I learned more about NCAA swimming and I realized it was dual meets don't matter. I was like, what? So I think dual meet brackets are a great idea, and I've seen it happen and it works.
0: Yeah, I think that'd be a great idea. I think we should hand the NCAA swimming over to Braden. Well, I've been asking for that
1: for ten years, and they, <laughs> the call hasn't come yet. It's a shame. Yeah. Uh, maybe look, the new NCA
2: commissioner of swimming. I don't. Yeah. I don't know Her if jobs. that's a thing or I not. I don't think that but... job
1: pays very well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, next topic. Uh, Bob Bowman and Carol Capitani were named as the 2023 U.S. World Champs teams head coaches. There was an extra S in there somewhere. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. We haven't seen a repeat Olympic coach. We were talking about this in the comments, or I was talking about this with other commenters. We haven't seen a repeat Olympic head coach since Eddie Reese served his last stint in 2008. Do you think with the Arizona state men coming around, if Bob Bowman, Bob Bowman will get the nod for an Olympic head coach in either 24 24? Or twenty eight. He already th- said he would take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sinking it for twenty four. I'm swimming it for twenty eight. I think that twenty four has been decided. Um, you know what? What we know from talking to people, they just announced these last week. But every everybody in the, that inner circle has known who it's going to be for months. Um, so it's breaking news to the public. But in true swimming fashion, they don't announce anything for months until until months after it happens. Um, so I think that the Paris head coaches, I think that that's already in the works. I think that's probably already been decided. And I think probably when those conversations began, it wasn't Bowman didn't have as much momentum about behind him. You know, there's still the text message issue that, um, as it goes in sports, the more success you have, the more people forget about when you've made mistakes. Um, and I think, I think by 28, that will be further behind him. I think there will be value to everybody involved in 2028 to have Michael Phelps as head coach as the head coach of the US Olympic team um just from a commercial perspective um you know narratives and NBC and the whole like so I I think I think all arrows are pointing to 2028 so long as he doesn't even need to keep this up until 2028 he just needs to kind of keep it till 2025 2026 um and I think he'll He'll be the choice.
2: I agree. I'm going to think that he's the head coach for the Paris team. One, just because it's probably has been decided who the Paris coaches are going to be. And two, let's
1: let's clarify that we think that's going to be Anthony Nesty and Todd DeSorbo. Nobody's told us that, but that's who we think they're going to be. I
0: I mean, I think that was the guess, like the day after Tokyo. Yeah. And yeah.
2: Yeah. And so going on, it's just even if we disregard the fact that the Paris team just have been decided, I still don't think Bowman would be the most feasible pick for the Paris team because one, I don't think he's going to be putting the most athletes on the team, on the US team. Because when you think about it, maybe Chase Kalish would be on the team. But that's Ryan never held. been a,
1: a factor, has it? I mean... You're almost better off just talking to people who have done this job. You're almost better off without athletes on the team because you, you aren't, you don't have to worry as much about, you know, Todd DeSorbo is going go to go to the Olympics and he might have to coaches five or six swimmers, whereas somebody else might not have as many. And that's why you sometimes see older coaches get the role because they're not as tied down to their, uh, their athletes but sorry I mean but
2: I, I still think it plays a part because uh, maybe not in Bob Bowman's case because he's coached so many great athletes but it also shows i guess a coach's merit but the main bigger thing is because I think in Paris I, I'm not saying that I'm not saying he prioritizes one swimmer or, or another but in Paris there's a big shining light on Leon Marchand and I feel like Leon Marchand is gonna be I guess the biggest pressure cooker for him because when when we think about Bob Bowman's performance as a coach in the Paris cycle we're not gonna be thinking the most about his ASU pro group athletes at home we're thinking about Leon Marchand and I think it, it, it honestly it makes more sense that he's the French coach. That's what he did at Worlds and it is than him being the US coach and I think that's also another big factor.
1: Imagine being Leon's coach in Paris and Michael Phelps's coach in LA. Bob's going to get paid. I I don't know who 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 pays that? Like where the money comes from that, but that just seems like a scenario where money materializes somehow definitely
2: I on the marketing side. That would definitely be a big
1: deal as much as you can market a coach. There's, there's not a better scenario than, th- than that for yeah. mainstream money.
2: The Nick Saban of swimming.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I
0: want to sink it just because I would like to see new, new faces on that coaching staff. Um, I mean, nothing against Bowman. I think, I think realistically, he probably will get the nod because of the reasons you guys said in 2028. Um, but I, I'm just going to go with the sink to be contrary, but also because I, I want to hope that another coach will come, will come along on the men's side that that is worthy of that and can can bring new perspective to the staff.
1: And Not I that Bob can't, but I think it's worth acknowledging that Bob since he's been at Arizona state has obviously changed as a coach. Um, and I don't know, you know, you've, you've interviewed him many times over the year, but years, but I think he's much more comfortable managing a group, managing a staff, managing different kinds of athletes than he was once upon a time. I think I have I've seen him shift from being a dogmatic coach to being a coach who's open to a lot of things. Um, I don't know if 10 or 12 years ago, you would have pegged him as part of the, tech suits at dual meets group um so i you know i think i think we've seen him become more flexible more open and and develop more of those qualities that you need to be the olympic head coach
0: last up oh no no not last up next up on sink or swim kyle chalmers swam the 800 free (laughs) i don't even know if we reported on it but he did it he went 8:22. In the long course, eight hundred free. First of all, just what are your thoughts?
1: Well, <laughs> he also went forty nine in the hundred free. So, like, it, it, let's be clear: we think Kyle can go faster than eight twenty two. Probably, <laughs> I think I think he probably has like an eight oh nine in him at least. Um, full taper, full taper, full suit. Um, I think I think he'll swim the hundred fly. I think because I think there's an opening for the hundred fly, and I think just listening to him talk it sounds like he's got a little bit of passion there that he wants to, uh, swim. I, you know, it's funny. Somebody posted on Twitter, a comment I left 10 years ago on an article about, Oh my
2: God, I saw that. I saw that as well. Watching,
1: watching Michael Andrew race Kyle Chalmers (laughs) in a hundred fly at the Paris 2024 Olympics. (laughs) And I, I still think that that's going to happen. Um, you know, I know Kyle is now a freestyle guy and that's what we all know him as, but it's, it seemed to me last year as though he expressed a uh, a passion for the hundred fly. You know, he he kind of feels like a guy that's always on the edge of retirement, um, at a at a premature age from what we'd expect given his success. So I think if he's going to keep that fire burning, something adding something like the hundred fly to his repertoire would uh, would be a way to do that. So. I'm going to swim him swimming more than just the 100 free. And I think it's going to be the 100 fly. I don't think it's going to be the 800 free.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to swim it as well, just because from what I've known, what I've seen him say, he seemed to be in a pretty bad spot mentally with the sport and focusing on another off event helped him explore different parts of the sport that maybe he didn't necessarily get to explore when he was so focused on the 100 free and i think he's gonna have maybe the 50 fly 100 fly just those events he's not really gonna take them seriously they're just events for him that get pressure off him take his mind off his big event and it just something just something new some like something that gets him just in a different place than being ultra focused on the 100 free because I don't think he's the type of person that would fare well if his entire meet was pinpointed on one race. So I think he's going to explore other events just as a distraction. But my question is, is he going to make the team in the hundred fly if he tries to swim it? Because you've got Matt temple who I think won at trials. And then there's Cody Simpson. Cause we remember all that drama that happened between Chalmers Simpson and temple, but Simpson is very new to the sport and he's getting better. Do we think Simpson can beat Chalmers and give Chalmers no choice in swimming another event?
1: Which one of those two guys is older?
2: I Kyle actually don't Cody?
1: know. Yeah. I think it's Cody.
0: I would guess Cody too. I mean, Kyle, like yeah, Kyle yeah we always was- forget that he's only Cody 24. Is
1: 26 and Kyle is 24. Yeah. Um, I I think I think they can both get better um but I think ultimately Kyle would win out in that battle.
0: Uh I disagree. I I think Kyle will swim another individual event in Fukuoka this summer. I think it'll be the 50 free. I think he'll ultimately decide to do that and I also think Cody who's focusing on butterfly and training will qualify for the 1500 fly. All right, last up on sink or swim today. Fun question: If you could pick one swimmer currently in the NCAA to start an entire team around, you get one athlete, male or female. Who would you choose?
1: You guys go first.
2: <laughs> oh God, um, I'm gonna pick. It has Alex to be a current
1: Walsh. NCAA athlete.
2: I I said I'm gonna pick Alex Walsh because. I legitimately think she's the only college swimmer in the country right now that can swim every single event and make an A-final in. She does not have a single weak stroke. Even with hyper-versatile swimmers like Leon Marchand and Kate Douglas, they're both we know their backstroke is significantly weaker than their other strokes. But with Alex Walsh, you don't see that. I legitimately cannot think of what her weakest stroke is. And She's a little bit overlooked because she doesn't swim super fast in season and she's sort of a distance swimmer, d- more distancy than her teammates and she gets a bit overlooked, but I think she has the widest range.
0: I vote Kate Douglas. She has the versatility of Alex Walsh with the elite speed. She's one step ahead of Alex. Uh, So I think Kate Douglas, I think Leon doesn't have the speed. St- to start an NCAA team around?
1: I think Kate Douglas is the right answer. Um, but since you guys already took her, I am going to take Leon because <laughs> then you don't have to think. So I I was sort of had a lot of conversations about ISL and building teams and finding 400 IMers was the hardest thing to do. It's like running backs in an NFL fantasy draft. Alex
2: Walsh if is a 400 don't IMer. don't
1: take the top one, you're not going to get a good one. So I'm is taking Alex Leon. Walsh,
2: not the top woman's 400 IMer.
1: For now, she is. what, what do you think Emma's going to win the 500 free and not the 400 IM, her best event?
2: Well, not in yards. In yards, it's not her best event, as you could see from her results last year.
1: Yeah, but she wasn't that good in the 500 last year either. Um, I think, second. So I'm taking Leon because I think he could still pop off an 18 point in the 50 free if he had to.